Hello and welcome to Canaan Sound of Play 82.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 82, is the uh, returning guest, Ryan Quintle from Pixels Weekly. Hey, Ryan. Yes, both of our names are Ryan, <laughs> so uh, that's on the table and immediately taken off the table. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> we've been on too many podcasts together to dwell on that too much every single time, and we are bordering on doing that exact thing right now correct so uh <laughs> hello Heyman. <laughs> hello q Ooh, i like it so um your first pick here is a piece from alan wake that's a a game that i really liked always meant to go back to uh i, I just something about that environment i live in seattle and so you know it yeah. kind of speaks to to my neck of the woods a little bit there, but uh, you know more than just the an immediate natural surrounding that the game places itself in. Um, you know, the game has such like an interesting control over its its tone and in, in introducing just kind of the right amount of supernatural elements as well, and um, it, just the entire story is so unpredictable and um, and inventive all the way through. Where does this particular track find us in that story? So this this track is kind of as we're uh, approaching. We are Alan is waking up from a nightmare, and uh-huh. we're uh, sort of approaching <laughs> a titular town uh, of Bright Falls, um, and it, he's approaching via ferry. And no, sorry, you call it a you call it a titular town. What what title is that referring to? <laughs> well, I, it's certainly not the title of the game. <laughs> Yes, no, sorry, yeah, Welcome to Bright Falls is the name of this track, Okay. <laughs> and Bright Falls is the name of the town, and uh, this is sort of panning over the town as as you approach Via mm. Ferry, and it it's great color, and, and I think that this track, in a lot of ways, is, is painting a picture that Remedy itself is great at painting with their stories, which is like this sad, mixed with beautiful, mixed with ominous um, kind of simultaneously. Yeah, Remedy, of course, famous for the um, at least a couple of the Max Payne games. I think the the first two Max Payne games they were in charge of. Yeah, and uh, they went on to do uh, Quantum Break. Was it called on the Xbox One and PC? Which I reluctantly very much like <laughs> for its TV mashup stuff. I have it on my shelf, and I am eager to get to it. But it's just one of those, you know, backlog backlog type things. Totally. Uh, yeah, I do remember this cutscene at the beginning of Alan Wake. Uh, this is, am I remembering correctly that it's like like a sunrise type of uh, lighting and and you're just kind of seeing this town and it, it highlights areas that you will be visiting throughout the game somewhat um, because as, um, as much as the game is essentially a fairly linear shooter, um, it does move you uh, in a kind of a realistic way through spaces that feel kind of real. Um, you, yeah. know, you are making like meaningful uh, physical progress through the game as well as the kind of narrative progress that you're making is. Um, and so, you know, you, you move from one part of town to the next and they are kind of logically the parts of town that would be next to each other. And so having this kind of grand overview of the city is uh, kind of a cool way to introduce you to that space that you'll be more kind of uh, fine-tuned exploring throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, and very much like um, the characters in that game, I would say the setting is just Mm -hmm. as much a character. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there are some some set pieces later in the game. Um, I, I believe it is. Yes, I am confident that it is the first Alan Wake that has the large rock show at the end. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, there are um, uh, there are kind of location based moments like that. But uh, I, I think what you're referring to is more the consistency of the Pacific Northwest town, the uh, the kind of general tone and atmosphere, the the fact that, you know, in all these kind of small town supernatural stories, there's usually some sort of an underlying sense of like the locals are in on this or they know what they know more than right. they're saying or some sort of like wicker man scenario or something. But in this game, since a lot of the supernatural elements do um kind of incorporate aspects of nature, this uh, kind of the consistency of the natural environment leads to kind of a sense of being surrounded by like the, the world itself is kind of out to get you. Like it's, it's a, um, it's as much of an antagonist as the zombies or whatever you choose to call them. And you know what? Uh, Remedy actually went and took the time to, when you pop in quantum break in the very first level there is a mm-hmm. television playing something that would be perhaps a sequel to this game. Mm-hmm. And of course, Remedy has said, we're not actually working on that sequel. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, please give me a sequel to Alan Wake, Remedy, whatever you do. Yeah, well, we did have a sequel of sorts. Um, it, it is a divisive sequel, to say the least. Uh, that is uh, Alan Wake's American Nightmare. Yeah. Um, that one was, I believe, introduced on Xbox Live and PS... No, probably wouldn't be PSN because this was Microsoft published, but um, definitely Xbox Live. I think it came to PC a bit later, or maybe it was simultaneous, but um, this one was more of an action shooter um, that kind of cycled around like three or four different environments it was, it was very kind of arcadey it followed uh the kind of confusing storyline that uh alan awake evolved into at the end of the first game uh following around his evil doppelganger mr scratch and yes. um as a more kind of supernatural time bending elements took place and i i i really didn't like the sequel i think mechanically it um I think the engine runs a whole lot smoother and that cannot be overstated how much of a difference that makes. I would love to play Alan Wake in the American Nightmare engine um, because it's just so much more pleasant a play experience. But um, it just kind of, it removed everything that made the first game interesting to me. And, uh, you know, the, the shooting is good, but not good enough to make me not miss the really cool storytelling elements. I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't get past the fact that he was wearing plaid on the cover <laughs> of this of this nightmare DLC. Canon has already established Alan Wake wears a sport coat over a rain jacket, <laughs> over a hoodie, over a shirt, <laughs> over a t-shirt. <laughs> yes. Well, in the uh, Pacific Northwest here, you have to layer up. To stay I guess warm. so. I think the thing that bugged me is that Alan Wake 1 had such like a cool cast of characters of, of people that really felt believable. And then in Alan Wake 2, every single person he meets are like, like attractive model women. And it's, it was just such a strange departure. Like, why is Alan Wake in a 
regular AAA video game now. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> we are just here to listen to the music today. And um, I, I think that just like just about everything else in that first Alan Wake game, um, that's a, a, a real masterpiece of a song there. Uh, let's go ahead and hop on to a, another piece of music written by a, another very, uh, very famous composer. Um, we've had, uh, we had a David Bowie request a few weeks back <laughs> and we're coming with somebody who's not quite as famous, but, uh, you know, getting up there. Um, this is a piece from Fable composed by Danny Elfman, and this is called Temple of Light. Fable, I was surprised to read on Wikipedia, was developed by Big Blue Box Studios, which I guess is a satellite studio of Lionhead. I'd always associated what? Lionhead with the Fable series, but yeah. I guess it was handled out of um, out of the main office or something. Like I, I really don't know much more about that, and probably uh, yeah, Glenn Watts is the one to ask about that. But um, yeah, I was just kind of surprised to read that that name getting top billing on the development credit. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, Fable released on the Xbox originally and um, eventually ported over to the PC and the 360 later on. One particularly interesting thing about this track is that um, it is a very nice track. I really like the way it sounds. It's very kind of uh, soothing harp music. Um, But I uh, was looking it up on YouTube just to find a link so that we can have something to listen to in the uh, show notes here. And the first result was one that was completely different than the one that I was used to hearing. Um, the one that I'm used to hearing is off of the soundtrack, and I I played through the last chapters a few years back, and it was the one I remember from that game. But I, I, I did find a version that sounded uh, like it was MIDI instruments, or I, I don't even know if this particular version is MIDI, but it sounded a lot, a lot less crisp, a lot less clear, and it wasn't just audio quality. Like, it was really a different recording. And so I don't know if the original release of Fable had a different, um, a slightly different soundtrack mm. um, that they might have re-recorded for the Lost Chapters update. But um, yeah, at least there are, are two versions out there, which is kind of interesting. Uh, have you ever played Fable, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Fable 1 is my favorite Fable, actually, by, <laughs> by far, mostly because of the way it used the magic system. Hmm. Um, but, you know, growing up Catholic, I couldn't help but really <laughs> enjoy the temple. The Temple of Light Quest is, it goes to a, the temple, I think it's called Avo or Avo in the game. And basically the only thing you can do at the temple is donate money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I couldn't help but think maybe this was Lionhead doing a little bit of a send up <laughs> to religion and churches and all this stuff. But um, yeah, I... Fable really captured me and mm-hmm. everything from, you know, Danny Elfman's soundtrack, Danny Elfman did um, what I associate to be the Batman theme of Batman themes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and yeah, I just, his soundtrack totally pulled me into this world. I mean, of course, every time that Fable gets brought up, people, um, you know, throw Peter Moleno under the bus and say, he promised so much and he delivered so little, but like, no, he, he delivered a lot. Like he promised even more, but like still what he delivered, especially for the time period that this was uh, released in is yeah. uh, still a really amazing accomplishment. So I, I always like to uh, try to not downplay the cool game that we ended up getting uh, a lot Absolutely. of really kind of revolutionary aspects in there. Um, almost with some of the 
uh, kind of longitudinal depth of decisions and uh, consequences that you would associate with something like uh, like Final Fantasy Tactics or those kind of older um, RPGs, like a PlayStation 1 era RPGs. Uh, but, you know, of course, in a more kind of uh, fully fleshed out, realized 3D world. Even just the er- earnest attempt to maintain scars that you've gotten over the mm. course of the game and and commit to physically transforming a character to meet the sort of good guy, bad guy decisions that you made <laughs> is, I, I thought, is incredible when you consider it was for the Xbox. We're not even talking about yeah. 360. Yeah, and uh, I was always really amused by um, having nicknames that follow you throughout the game, depending <laughs> oh, on yes. some of the things that you do. Oh, chicken chase, huh? You chase chickens. <laughs> now, is that... Because that was the nickname that I think I got early in the game. Is that because I was like a bully to the actual chickens, or was that kind of like a like a a common way of of saying like you're you're chasing women or something? No, like, I I think that they may have even f- like force you into the quest of you have to like gather a bunch of chickens or something <laughs> like that. And okay, and so that was like the first nickname, which of course you would strive to get rid of as soon as possible. <laughs> I think I didn't understand that you could change your nickname until yeah. <laughs> I was like very, very late game. So uh, I was chicken chaser for <laughs> for quite a while and wondering like, after all these things that I've done for this world, is this still my legacy? <laughs> <laughs> Save the world chases chickens. That's all he did for us. Uh, right. Well, this is Temple of Light by Danny Elfman from Fable.
Okay, this next one, we have a request from the forum. Um, this comes from Todinho, who says, Also for those who like some smooth jazz, the smooth jazz shop theme is a nice break from all the chaos. I certainly do like a little bit of smooth jazz myself, and um, I'm not sure that's exactly how I would um, how I would pitch this particular piece <laughs> of music. It, it is smooth jazz, but it has a very kind of heavy, thumping, uh, percussive track underlying it, which um, it, it kind of removes the smoothness from the listening experience, yeah. but it, it injects it with a really nice energy. And so it's certainly not something that I mind. Um, this is, of course, called a Smooth Jazz Shop. This is composed by Gordon McLattery from Oklas Omega, which is uh, not a game that I had ever heard of before. Do you know anything about Oklas? I I don't. And of course, like, you know, getting ready for for the episode, I went and I listened to this song. And amazingly, last night, my girlfriend and I were watching the Michael Bolton Netflix, like, Valentine's <laughs> Day special uh-huh. thing. And so all I pictured in my head during this track, and I'm sorry, listeners, if you now do this, is Andy Samberg as Kenny G <laughs> rocking out <laughs> with his clarinet. And so if you find yourself doing that, uh, I apologize. Uh, yeah, that um, I, I think that sets an appropriate tune uh, <laughs> of what to expect. Just so everybody's on the same uh, page here. Uh, this game is an action roguelike, according to the Wikipedia entry. Um, by an Argentina-based independent video game developer, Coffee Powered Machine, published by Devolver Digital, who does a lot of uh, really interesting indie games, yeah. and uh, just came out last year, towards the, uh, the latter half of last year. So, um, still a recent game, um, and uh, I think this uh, this music by Gordon McLattery is uh, certainly enough uh, for me to at least give the soundtrack a second look, and um, you know, just based on that i'm certainly interested to see what the game has to offer so anyways this is called smooth jazz shop from oklas omega
this last week at work, um, I work in an office space and there's a a lot of other people around me. And so, you know, I I work best when I can just kind of isolate all the outside noise and just kind of be inside my own world. And and so I I listen to a lot of music at at my desk and I try to stay away from music with lyrics because that kind of uh, confuses my brain and slows me down when I'm trying to read or whatever. But um, I've been, uh, I had the brilliant idea and sorry, that sounded a lot more sarcastic than it ended up being. Like this was actually... (laughs) a really good idea that I am disappointed in myself that I uh, did not come up with earlier. I, I, I transferred the uh, one of those large, like, every song dump from Super Smash Bros. Wii U in 3DS onto my iPod. Yes. And been listening through that soundtrack, like, all week long, like, for my entire shift, and I am still not done with the 546 tracks on Whoa. that soundtrack. Uh, which, yeah, it's an impressive collection of music, especially for, um, I mean, of course, not every song is on the 3DS, like that has a much smaller library than the Wii U version. But um, even, you know, having that much music, and that much quality, you know, video game music from all throughout history of all different types of games on one disc is something really special. And there's uh, a lot of music from uh, kind of directly from those older games, as you would have heard it on their original cartridges or the original arcade cabinets or wherever they ended up coming from. And uh, a lot of remixes as well. And uh, what you're bringing us now is a one of those remixes that is, uh, as far as I can tell, um, composed for the Wii U version of uh, Super Smash Brothers. And uh, this is a medley of songs from Mario Paint. Yeah, it was it was hard for me to nail down who who exactly composed mm. this because yep. there's like <laughs> six or seven composers, um, n- not many of which I'm you know brave enough to name uh, with their their Japanese pronunciations. But I grew up like with Super Nintendo and. Mario Paint was always one of my favorite games on it. It came with the mouse peripheral. It felt like the mm-hmm. it felt like I was using a computer. I was a grown up, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and lo and behold, here I am, X amount of years later. I'm a designer, and I'm essentially doing Mario Paint all day, like for my <laughs> profession. Um, and, and just to uh, uh, clue the listeners in, your profession is making music that sounds like it's uh, dog dog barks. <laughs> so, um, yes, it is a very clear line of progression throughout your life. Well, that was so cool, wasn't it? Because it was for some reason it was called Mario Paint, and then yet it had all these things on the periphery mm-hmm. that were just about being <laughs> creative, like composing music with the most ridiculous sound font package that you've ever heard, <laughs> and. I actually think the brilliance of this remix, if you will, is the fact that they brought in some of those sounds to this song. Like mm. they, you hear a dog bark, you hear the, ah, ah which is a little like baby <laughs> face. Very weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mario Paint, of course, uh, had no direct sequels, but there are two games that are kind of considered uh, like spiritual successors, so to speak. Um, kind of taking up the Mario Paint brand and idea and identity and, and rolling forward with that. Uh, the first of which being Game Boy Camera on the Game Boy, and the second of which being Super Mario Maker on the Wii U and 3DS, um, both of which have a lot of references back to the original Mario Paint video game. Yeah, it was just, it's classic Nintendo celebrating just pure creativity. And I think like nobody, this track is an example of when you have a legacy of this sort of eight or 16 bit music, 
how do you modernize it? And mm. you can kind of go a lot of ways. You can make it really pure and sounding like the old stuff, or they they hired an orchestra that honestly sounds like a, just a really awesome jazzed up version of the original stuff. Yes, this is Mario Paint Medley. I'm going to try to get through this composer list. We don't know exactly who composed this one, um, but the list we have in front of us is Keiki Kobayashi, Junichi Nakatsuru, Hiroki Hashimoto, Hiroyuki Kawada, Eriko Sakurai, Akihiku Ishikawa, and Yoshinori Hirai. I don't want you to go out on a limb like this by yourself, so I'm also going <laughs> to shout out to the original Mario Paint composers, which is Hirokazu Tanaka, Ryoji mm -hmm. Yoshitomi, and Kazumi Totaka.
Yeah, so Mario Paint, of course, a blast from the past. As I mentioned before, Mario Maker kind of takes up a lot of the mantle that um, that Mario Paint kind of laid down in the past. Very kind of creativity-focused game. And I, I really like when uh, developers kind of work to deliver these kind of modern takes on classic ideas. And one of the developers that has consistently done a really tremendous job of uh, kind of keeping the spirit of old platformers especially alive over the past few years has been way forward. Um, they, they did the uh, really excellent Mighty Switch Force series, um, which I really like. They've done um, the Shantae games, which is, uh, this is a request from one of those. And I will go ahead and read the, uh, the forum request. This comes from Flavio from the forum, who says, Half Genie Hero is a hugely fun platform game that takes its inspiration from all sorts of places. There's a lot of Wonder Boy 3 in there, specifically changing into animals to access previously unreachable areas of levels. A chunk of Castlevania, the relic system, is straight out of Symphony of the Night, but much of it is focused on evolving the feel of the 16-bit mascot platform era whilst avoiding the pixel art and chip tunes, So the music sounds like you remember those Mega Drive era games sounding, but not how they actually sounded. Here's Hypno Baron's Castle, the game's obligatory haunted house stage, which listeners of the show will know that I am always up for a haunted house stage. <laughs> I, I, I love this music, uh, I guess particularly for that reason, but also because it's really kind of full of energy and, um, and quite, a, quite a fun song in and of itself. Um, but yes, I've been uh, really interested in playing Half Genie Hero um, because you know Shantae games are consistently very, very good platformers. That uh, you know, while Fabio there um, you know compliments it for uh, avoiding the pixel art and chip tunes, um, the the series up to this point has been kind of married to the aesthetic that it developed on its original Game Boy Color entry. And so, you know, just the the entry before this, while it did incorporate some more kind of high-res elements, uh, especially in the character portraits during um, conversations, uh, the actual, like, controllable sprites uh, look like they are straight out of a Game Boy Color, which has its own appeal. But looking at um, Half Genie Hero and some of the, like, really beautiful sprite animation in this one, um, it, it opts for a more kind of um, Rayman Origins uh, style I think that um, it was kind of the right move to modernize at this point in the series. Uh, have you ever played any of the Shantae games, Ryan? Uh, I've not. And uh, I actually watched a bunch of gameplay this morning for Half Genie Hero. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is way up my alley. Like, where, where yeah, have these yeah. games been all my life? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's funny because we just, you know, shared the the Mario Paint soundtrack stuff. And... That was one way to go with sort of modernizing that 8-bit mm -hmm. retro sound of games. And now here's another way to go, which is that sort of driving electronic sort of feel that mm -hmm. uh, I feel like suits the, the gameplay perfectly. This is really kind of complicated to describe because, uh, you know, so let's, let's try to break this down. Uh, the game itself is very much modeled after the first Shantae game, which was released in 2002. It was originally released on the Game Boy Color, and so of course it kind of uh, featured a little bit more kind of chip tuny type sound. And so this, the sound of this soundtrack, isn't necessarily adherent to um, to the legacy of the Shantae series 
as it would be remembered if you went back to the original Game Boy Color entry in 2002, but it does feel like 2002 music that other games were making in 2002. You know, this feels very much like, a, um, and of course this isn't a 2002 example, but like Death Smiles or something like that. Um, you know, that a type of, like I hear this music and I think of, of um, like those scrolling shooters or um, yes, these, these fun so. kind of Japanese like anime fighters or something. And um, it, so I feel like it invokes the time period that it's throwing back to more than the legacy of the series itself, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those tracks that you like as you play the game, you almost feel compelled to jump in time with or shoot in mm, time yeah. with, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyways, this is the wonderful Hypno Baron's Castle uh, composed by Jake Kaufman from Shantae, Half Genie Hero.
So in a previous sound of play, I requested the title theme from a, uh, a kind of lesser known uh, kart racing game called Obliteracers, which was released last year on the PC, the Xbox One and the PS4. I was sent the soundtrack by one of the composers on the soundtrack. And, you know, he was just kind of curious, like what I thought of it. And uh, I have to say, it's really tremendous. I've been listening to it nonstop since then. It's really genuinely bar none, one of my favorite video game soundtracks. I think the entire uh, team, and this is a team of different composers that have all contributed to the soundtrack, um, did a really tremendous job on pulling it together and making a super high energy soundtrack. <laughs> um, that's also a little, uh, has kind of a subversive, sassy tone to it as well. Totally. That's a fair thing to say. Yeah. Uh, but this is another track, kind of like the uh, the first one that I featured so many sounds of play ago, that has a really strong kicking bass line, a really um, hard driving percussive line, and is completely dominated by like a really cool screeching brass um, lead line. And it's uh, it just it's hard to stop listening to. It's just so much fun. <laughs> After checking out Obliteracers, the game, I couldn't help but feel like that with this track. Like I want to see like MC Scat Cat as one of the racers <laughs> or something. Yeah, this um, this track is called Transporter Seasick. and um, it is composed by Phonetic Hero. And each track has two variations from what I can tell. And uh, each composer composes both variations for the same track. And so I get the impression that uh, you get like a really different, not only kind of visual experience from these different race courses, but a, a different but kind of consistent between the two auditory experience as well, which um, is kind of a cool way to break it up. So without further ado, this is the wonderful Transporter Seasick by Phonetic Hero from Obliteracers.
Our next track is a request from the forum. This comes from Good Shrewsbury, who says, It's like if the running man and the Terminator effed, and then that child grew up to become an actual Blade Runner, positively <laughs> dripping with 80s synth cheese, such an infectious drumline, I actually stopped mid-game just to jam to this for a good 45 seconds. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the very tonally perfect uh, power core made by Power Glove. Um, this comes from Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, which is a uh, semi-sequel. I don't know if I'd call it that. Yeah, they reused yeah. the Far Cry 3 engine to produce like a humorous <laughs> take on the shooter genre. Yeah. Um, it is a a Far Cry 3 style first person shooter that is set in uh, one of those kind of like bad 80s sci-fi action films that you would find on like VHS being sold in gas stations or something when you were younger. I love Blood Dragon and I think we're <laughs> both cooler for just being rapping this track <laughs> and being on the same show as this track is playing. But yeah, I, uh, Blood Dragon is awesome and like the soundtrack is so in the vein of that uh, it's almost not even being in one of those movie worlds but it's it's like being in one of those movie posters. Um, it's in the vein of John Carpenter. And, um, when I thought of this, uh, good Shrewsbury, such a good recommendation. You should go check out VHS glitch, uh, Mm. not to talk about another, uh, artist on the show, but there he's on Bandcamp and, uh, did the Chrome death soundtrack, which is also in this vein of like sort of driving, uh, eighties synth send up stuff. It's hard to not notice the, uh, the amazing 80s synth line there that kind of pervades the entire track. It has a very kind of imposing drum beat as well that leads yeah. to a real nice sense of your your heart really kind of like races in your stomach as you're listening to it. Uh, well, I guess your heart is not in your stomach, but you get the general <laughs> idea. No matter where your um, heart is, illiterate. it's wearing a headband. We agree with <laughs> yes. that, right? <laughs> One of the things that uh, I kind of wish this track did differently and i do really love this track but it feels so much like it's leading up to something that i'm kind of disappointed at the end that i never get that like release as it just kicks into whatever it was leading up to yeah and i understand like a lot of that is because this is kind of contextual background music for a video game and not you know composed necessarily as a uh, song to be listened to in isolation but um, you know, it, with how good this intro is, like, I, I, I so want to hear what it's leading up to. <laughs> we need to like dub in an explosion at the end or something <laughs> to make it feel big. I just want like a 20 minute guitar solo. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. But of course, uh, Power Glove is a video game cover band. They've been doing, uh, kind of metal covers of video game songs for years and years and years now. They weren't necessarily known in their solo work for doing this type of kind of 80s synth type stuff. That would be more in the vein of of the proto-men, um, but they certainly fit the bill here. I would go so far to say that this sound fits them like a glove. Uh, so <laughs> uh, this is Power Core by Power Glove from Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon.
This next track, we're circling back around to the Nintendo stable, something again within the Mario extended universe, <laughs> so to speak. This is a piece from Yoshi's Woolly World, and I apologize because I uh, just never seem to stop requesting music from this soundtrack, which I think <laughs> is a tremendous soundtrack. Uh, Yoshi's Woolly World just got a re-release on the 3DS uh, with some expanded features including not only the Poochie features, which ended up making it into the title of uh, that particular port of the game, but something that I've been immensely amused by is the ability to, I guess, draw on and color your own Yoshis. Oh, um, wow. Yoshis Woolly World came with a, uh, with a huge amount of amiibo costumes, which were a lot of fun. You can make Yoshi look like all of your favorite Nintendo characters and a couple of your favorite namco and capcom characters <laughs> but having the ability to like draw your own yoshi patterns and designs has led to so many creative funny people posting so many pictures of uh, it, it, it's been tremendous of course i've posted on twitter um some pictures i found of a banjo kazooie themed yoshi uh, i've seen like freddy krueger and optimus prime wow. and it's been incredible and i more than anything in life right now just want that feature on the wii u <laughs> that's really cool yeah i can't believe that's not on the wii u version it's probably the most enticing reason for me again to double dip into this game i mean of course any excuse to play yoshi's woolly world again is is great especially since it from what i could tell from the demo that i played seems to run really well in the 3ds it's a uh, constant uh, 60 frames per second on the new 3ds which is super cool and, um, you know, just a really tightly designed game all around. But uh, that extra feature. <laughs> I know, it's killer. Really makes me want to. Yeah. Uh, but this particular track, it is called Amazing Post Pounding. Uh, this comes from a particular level in which you are navigating a cave that is kind of blocked off by several posts that extend out of the ground that you can, like, butt slam on to lower but every time you lower one of them it raises another kind of opposite one uh, somewhere else in the course and so it's trying to kind of find your way around navigating all of these posts of different size it's pretty clever it's fun i don't mind it um, but this this track is really kind of laid back super funky it has a i don't, I don't even know how to describe the sound you'll recognize it when you hear it but kind of like that uh it's like an emptiness almost yeah it's got that 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 lead bass line yeah. that kind of slap bass sound that you would get in like a again kind of like a 70s 80s vibe to it as well yeah like beverly hills cop one like axel rose would be tooling <laughs> yes. around with this in the background <laughs> yeah yeah that's right super funky uh really fun positive and infectious this reminds me a lot of the soundtrack to uh, gunpoint actually uh, for some reason and so i hope that you all enjoy this amazing post founding by tomoya tamita and misaki asada <laughs> Thank you. 
one track left today uh, remember you can venture over to our forum at canonrince.com slash forum or you can vis- visit our twitter at canonrince or you can visit our facebook page get in touch with us somehow and request songs we always love hearing some of the community requests and i was just uh telling q in the virtual green room before we started recording that as much as i like the music that we picked i feel like the real stars of the show today are the community absolutely (laughs) their requests have been like astounding recently and so i mean they have always been really great we have a a community with excellent taste but these particular tracks that um the community picked for this show are um things that i was kind of brand new introduced to and really ended up liking so good job everybody round of applause (laughs) from us to you Uh, You can subscribe to Sound of Play and leave us an iTunes reviewer rating that will help us out on the charts. And we always do very much appreciate that. Uh, I would like to thank Ryan Quintle for coming on. Uh, Would you like to let uh, everybody know where they can find you and uh, kind of what you're up to these days? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Head over to PixelsWeekly.com and we do a a podcast that is not about music, but, you know, it's a fun video game podcast and Mm -hmm. sort of in a different palette from your sound of playing cana rinse maybe a nice triangle to have in your <laughs> life uh, so uh, give us uh, give us a shout out come come check us out yes certainly um the pixels weekly podcast is as the title implies weekly <laughs> so yes. like a uh, like a good friend that's always there to depend on <laughs> so uh you also told me just yesterday that you have a kind of a cool opportunity coming up in the future as well do you want to kind of clue the listeners into that sure well i'm i mean like many of us uh who have sort of loved video games and grown up around them uh the chance to work at ign actually Hmm. uh came to me recently and be a product designer for them and so i'm i'm gonna join that team uh in april and just really Get, you know, get listening to their community and finding out all the things and, you know, get that, get that homepage responsive and all that good stuff. Um, and I'm sure video player stuff and, and all of that, but I'm, I'm excited to dive in and, you know, get to do video games 40 hours a week plus, if you will, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
which is very cool. I mean, of course, if you are going to be listening to the IGN community, uh, just very briefly, I can sum sum it up. Uh, they hate Nintendo and they hate each other. Uh, so that about sums up what the IGN community is all yeah, about. But... Don't, don't linger in the comment section. 10 out of 10 IGN, right? Mountain Dew, all that stuff. Uh, but the IGN writers are, um, yeah, they're one of the outlets that's been around for just forever in this industry. And they've been a tremendous team. Uh, their the writing is um, always exceptional. And um, I, I used to go to, I believe it was a part of what ended up becoming IGN back in the old days when I needed help with my video games, I would go to gamesages.com oh, yeah. um, for cheat codes and stuff. So that was my, uh, my intro. And then I think that was absorbed into IGN and uh, started redirecting there. And so that's how I became aware of the website decades ago. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny you site. said that about the community because IGN actually, I think, started out as IGN64.com, all about <laughs> Nintendo 64, huh. right? Really? So I'm going to bring Nintendo love back to that, <laughs> back to that space. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, as somebody who uh, who s- spends quite a bit of his professional focus reading a lot of uh, comment sections for um, video game publications, I, I will at least say that the uh, IGN community is very passionate. They uh, IGN typically gets uh, huge, huge amounts of engagement with all of the articles that they write. Um, even the real kind of like mundane articles get like over a thousand comments on them, which is just kind of unheard of in uh, Crazy, yeah. in a lot of video game publishing. So, um, you know, it, it is a very popular, very well appreciated site. And uh, it, it's exciting that you're going to have the opportunity to contribute to that. I can't wait. And, and I can't also thank you enough for, for letting me do this type of stuff in my off hours. You know, I I love, you know, Kane and Rince and what you've been doing with Sound and Play <laughs> since since you took it over and have been running the show and it it's it's just really good. Oh yes, well of course always remember that um, the only reason that people listen to Facials Weekly is because we recommended people to it. So <laughs> I mean ultimately we made you into who you are today. That's and true. Uh, <laughs> a Q so. owes it all to H. You comes before it in the alphabet, if I'm not mistaken. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, well. <laughs> Exciting things coming coming in the future. Let's uh, look at some of the exciting things from the past as well. Uh, speaking of IGN, I just read an article on IGN um, just the other day, and this is not a recent article. It was an article that they uh, that they printed back in two thousand or two thousand one. Whoa! And it was at a Square Enix event. Uh, it must have been some sort of like Millennium celebration or something, but. Uh, at that event, Square Enix, or I guess it was just Square at the time, yeah. um, they uh, announced for the first time Final Fantasy 9, 10, and 11, <laughs> which is, uh, which wow. feels like by modern standards, of course, like everything is trying to spin into a long running series, but, um, uh, you know, it, it just, it feels so strange to announce like multiple games in the same series at the same time and it was a really kind of like funny little bit of history of course square was um publishing a a tremendous amount of uh, of really high quality video games back then and final fantasy 9 which this uh, track comes from is no exception a lot of people 
you would still being their favorite in the series. So uh, I have not played that one myself, so I'm going to let you describe this one. Well, I'm unfortunately guilty of not playing it either. In fact, I came <laughs> from Final Fantasy VII, and, mm. you know, having played seven and, and eight, seeing this new Final Fantasy come out and have these, like, wee little characters and have this very different tone from especially the sort of, I guess, adult-ish tone of Final Fantasy VII um, seemed like, you know, a, a being a, you know, a 13-year-old kid, I had the reaction of, this isn't cool, this isn't for me, or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, the Final Fantasy series started um, kind of slowly morphing into a, a kind of a dark sci-fi type series rather than the original kind of high fantasy and where that transformation started is really kind of up to debate. A lot of people put it at, uh, I mean, seven is the obvious kind of point at which it like fully crossed over, but there are elements of that in six and, um, you know, certainly before that as well. But uh, nine was kind of a return to form for uh, the high fantasy elements of Final Fantasy. It's too bad, too, because, you know, having played Final Fantasy 15 recently, I can't help but think, especially after reading all the reviews for nine that I went back and checked out and said, what did I miss that I'd like to see square Enix now making more final fantasy nine type games than final fantasy 15 type games. Yeah. Well, they've, uh, they've actually kind of spun that off into being the successful bravely default series. If that's yeah. what you're into. Cool. I'll so check it out. I, I think that, uh, that itch is being scratched. You just kind of have to seek it outside of the series itself. Now, to be clear, with Bravely Default, do I have to watch a CG movie and an anime and <laughs> wait for a six-month patch? <laughs> uh, there's nothing like that, but there is a really cool opening scene that uh, uses the 3DS's AR camera to project one of the characters into your very living room. Whoa! So that's kind of neat. <laughs> All right, sign me up. Of course, we're not here to talk about Bravely Default, as uh, wonderful a game as that little one is, um, but... Um, yeah, Final Fantasy IX is an interesting one. My history with the Final Fantasy series is not extensive. Uh, I've played six all the way through, and I've played bits and pieces of eight and ten, um, and then, you know, just small, small, minute amounts of others here and there. But from my understanding, and particularly with like some at least rudimentary experience with Nobuo Uematsu's kind of legendary series of soundtracks, uh, this particular song doesn't fit into what I would normally associate with Final Fantasy music. No, and, and it's also, you know, it's the sort of track that feels it truly alien in a way that I think is... It's got a little bit of like Russian waltz, a little bit of hmm. Argentinian tango, and there's like classical guitar in there. And it, I feel like it really makes you feel like you're in a different space and a different place. But this particular version of it is from the 2002020 um, album, which was a live recording. <laughs> Um, huh. it's, it stood for 2002, February 20th. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, yeah, I know. It always drives me crazy searching for it. Cause I always think it's some other like one zero one binary thing. Yeah. It's um, like a, one of those cool, like progressive rock Arion albums or something. <laughs> totally. And like, I think just the way this rendered, and I could, I could have picked any track off of this whole album because I listen to this album all the time, but mm -hmm. 
uh, I chose this one because I think you're right. This does not sound like a typical Final Fantasy song. It sounds like you're at some sort of grand event, and uh, I, it's perfect, I think. And now I don't speak Spanish. Yeah, but, I, I tried uh, to translate Vama Flamenco, uh, which, of course, uh, refers to the fact that it is flamenco music. And so, you know, it fits that that genre well. Um, but I, uh, I I don't know what that means. It's probably a very easy. <laughs> uh, so searching around, the best thing I could figure is something about like the world being square or the world being flat. Okay. <laughs> That's but I could be very wrong. So Okay. Well, um for all of you flat earth enthusiasts <laughs> <laughs> We know you're listening. You're um, out there. Yes, this is uh this is Vamo Aya Flamenco by Nobuo Uematsu from Final Fantasy Nine. Uh, apologies on the pronunciation, uh, but I hope that you enjoy the track nonetheless. Uh we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>